knowing that that Richie Port and you are both from Tasmania and both are involved in triathlons or have been involved in triathlons, if you and Richie Port had time to prepare, who would win an Ironman <laughs> distance triathlon? Because I know that Richie sure can swim really well. We nicknamed him the fish when he came to to Saxo Bank back in uh, 2010, I believe. But how is he at running? Does he have a chance or are you guys pretty pretty <laughs> evenly matched there? Well, he's... Um He's got a, one limiting factor is the length of his limbs. <laughs> He's got to take about twice the number of steps to me, so that's a bit of a tricky one for him. Cycling, rowing, and triathlon. What do they all have in common? Cameron Worth. The Aussie multi-sports star has had anything but an orthodox career, and with his return to the World Tour ranks at the beginning of 2020, we wanted to sit down and get inside the head of one of endurance sports most accomplished and interesting athletes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton and this week, fresh from vacation, I am joined as always by Bobby J. Bobby, how you doing? Oh boy, I'm doing pretty good, Gus. Uh, fresh off of vacation is kind of a, uh, a term that I'll use lightly. It's amazing how once you do connect, and I told you last week that I'm not really good at connecting, but was able to kind of find my my stride a little bit and getting up in the morning, riding the beach cruiser on the beach, looking for sand dollars and little things that washed up on the beach. I'm kind of enamored with that sort of thing. Just had a great time. And I actually embraced vacation a little bit more than I think I ever have. And kind of to the point where when it was time to leave, instead of saying, oh, thank goodness this is over, I kind of said, wow, that went by pretty quick. Yeah. Loved riding the bike on the beach. That was phenomenal. Got to play golf a couple times. Went crabbing. Uh, I don't know if I told you that the last time. That was the first time I've ever done that. That was pretty cool. But yeah, slowly getting back up and running here at home. Looking forward to getting back at it. There's no doubt. Not much else has changed besides maybe my tan lines are a little bit more evenly balanced than they've been in in a while. But yeah, had a great time. How was your week? Mate, crabbing. I used to do crabbing uh, where I lived back in Australia. We'd go mud crabbing and we'd get off the boat with a big spotlight and uh, and you'd go down in the nighttime and you'd coast along the shore and you'd and you'd high beam them with the with the spotlight and they'd freeze uh, and then you'd just pick them up out of the water. Mate, my week's been busy. Uh, not much to report, to be honest. Just head down in, uh, in Colorado with uh, plenty of work on. Um, so, you know, just... Uh, just same old, same old. And this week, it seems with uh, with this sport of cycling, things have picked up. But as with uh, the kind of COVID situation around the world, it's not quite smooth sailing. What's been the week in sport of cycling? Yeah, like I said, it was kind of switched off a little bit there. But obviously, the big news of this week was the final two stages of the virtual Tour de France on Zwift. Stage five was on Saturday. That was on the Mont Ventoux up to the Chalet Renard course. And it was great, great racing. I was so surprised and so impressed 
of how everyone just went all in on on this uh, on these last two days. It's all we got for the moment, and everyone gave their all. So it was it was pretty pretty exciting to watch. It was. It's getting me excited for the return of the of the World Tour racing in the women's uh, category. Ashley Mulman Pasio won in an impressive ride over Sarah Gigante and Lauren Stevens from the very dominant Silicon Bank Valley team. In the men's, Mike Woods on the top step, uh, winning ahead of Dominazio Pozzovivo and Louis Menti. So, both those riders, Mike Woods and, and, and Pozzovivo, have come back from injury in the last, you know, under a year. So, that was really cool to see those two on the top. The watts per kilo these guys were pushing was insane. Yeah, Mike Woods is back. There's no doubt about it. There's no fake in it on that sort of finish. And he just kind of rode away from them. And that's what I really liked about the kind of in-screen picture. They would be able to focus on the rider actually riding, not only just the little avatar. And yeah, that was that was just a great stage five. Obviously, that was kind of the queen stage of of the event. The next day was on stage six was on the Champs-Élysées circuit. And before we get into the racing, I just have to take my hat off to all the programmers at Zwift for putting in such detail uh, along the course. I was honored enough to have ridden the Tour de France or finished the Tour de France, I think, seven out of nine times. And that was always a special, I mean, that's what kept you going in that last week when things were going maybe a little bit negative. You were just like, man, it's all going to be worth it when I ride on the Champs-Élysées. And I have to say, from my perspective behind my phone as I was streaming it, it was pretty darn accurate. And, you know, memories coming through of, you know, getting on those cobblestones. When when I did it, we used to turn around like a U-turn right before the Arc de Triomphe, but now they actually do the longer lap around it. And that always made more sense to me. I don't know why they just started doing that recently because, I mean, obviously that's a big intersection for traffic at the top and maybe they were trying to keep it clear and now they don't really care. But you know, the whole effort that was put into that, the detail that was put into that, just have to thank them for making that happen. Yeah, and we saw Lauren Stevens again. She has been on the top or at the front of every stage, it feels like, uh, over the, the last three weeks. Um, so, again, Tibco Silicon Valley Bank winning an, uh, another stage. April Tracy, uh, or Tassie, sorry, from uh, Trek Drops was second. Uh, another strong showing after a couple of stage wins early on. And then Georgia Simmeling and Chloe Diegart from Team 2020 were third and fourth, respectively. I definitely predicted that Chloe would figure out that that little sprint there at the end. And um, she didn't quite do that. But how cool was that for Lauren Stevens to actually win the final stage while wearing the yellow jersey? That, that's got to be a dream come, come true. The yellow jersey competition, the points competition the mountains competition, pretty much everything but the young rider competition was won by Silicon Valley Bank. They were just on it from the get-go, no doubt about it. I know that things like that just don't really happen. So I just want to congratulate all the members of the team, as well as the team manager, Rachel Hederman, as it must have taken a lot to get all these women on three different continents ready to race each and every week. So Great racing from from everyone. All the women were fantastic. And what happened in the men's? Will Clark 
another Aussie from Trek Sagafredo. One ahead of Filippo Garner. So two absolute strongmen there at the front with, of course, Ryan Gibbons, another strongman from NTT winning up at the finish, uh, finishing third, sorry, uh, bringing up the rear of that podium. The yellow jersey competition, NTT, they have had a really amazing three weeks as well. They took the lead ahead of Rally Cycling and then in third place was Trek Segafredo. So yeah, Team NTT and and, and SVB for the, the women heading into the real physical season in really good position and it'll be interesting to see if they can transfer their virtual form into real form. Points competition, NTT. Mountain competition, NTT. Young rider competition, NTT. Most combative, NTT. So, And then obviously the team's classification, NTT. So yeah, two very dominant performances there from two teams across both the men and women's at the virtual Tour de France. That was, you know, that was better than I expected. I think it was nice to have something uh, happening over the last three weeks of the month of July and it has definitely got me a little more excited and a little more ready for the actual season to resume. Yeah, it was a teaser, but, uh, you know, an appetizer, if you will. I'm definitely primed and ready for the main course coming up here pretty soon. And on that note, the Colombians have landed. A hundred or so of the athletes, uh, Colombian athletes across multiple sports, flew on a charter flight from Bogota to Madrid. And all I could think of, because I know there was a lot of other athletes on there, but man, if if the Tour de France had to go on without the Colombian protagonists, I think it would have been a lot less interesting. So I hope their transition over there goes well. I don't believe they have to go into you know a 10 or 14 day quarantine. And let's just hope that they're off and running once the, the tour kicks off in, in late August. Yeah, and speaking of uh, of COVID disruptions, the Sibiu tour in Romania over the last uh, the last week has had some teams pull out due to a spike of the COVID nineteen cases in in Romania. So, whilst racing is is starting to resume, there is that ever present threat of a sudden spike in cases in the in the host country. You know, putting pay to some teams and some athletes' plans of going there. So, we'll keep an eye on that over the coming week. And we'll see, you know, hopefully that's just a, a one-off case and, and the remainder of races in different parts of, of Europe and, and the rest of the world are going ahead in, uh, in you know, declining cases uh, of, of COVID. Yeah, that was kind of my biggest fear with the races, the preparatory races that need to be done because you can't have these guys come straight off a of racing off Swift and training camps and, and get into the races. But I was a little bit nervous that issues would present themselves at these races that would put in jeopardy the start of the Tour de France. And the race hasn't even started yet, and there's some teams pulling out. Let's just hope that with all these protocols in place, that the rider safety and the public safety is is put at the top of the top of the board and that we we will see the start of the Tour de France um, starting in late August. Exactly right. And that brings us to the main part of the show. Cameron Wirth is without a doubt one of the most capable endurance athletes in the world. Starting out in rowing, he made the Australian Olympic team before switching disciplines and turning professional in the sport of cycling. After a successful career on the road, chaperoning riders like Ivan Basso to Grand Tour success, Cam made the switch to triathlon and very quickly has made his mark in that sport, destroying the bike split 
record at the World Champs in Hawaii, whilst simultaneously improving his overall position there to finishing fifth in 2019. Yeah, and just when the podium at Hawaii seemed in reach, Cam decided to switch things up again, announcing in early 2020 that he would be returning to the road, effective immediately, with none other than Team Ineos, in an attempt to balance both disciplines at the highest level. We sat down with Cam to try and get inside the head and get even just the vaguest understanding of what makes a guy that goes from, you know, the highest level in all these different sports tick. Oh man, this is going to be a good one. G'day, Cam. How you doing, mate? It's been uh, it's been a little while since you and I have had a chat. Yeah, it has. Probably far out, be like nearly two years ago when when you rode with G and I. We met you. We, we met you in Griffith Park, and and we're riding along. G G's like, "Where are we meeting this guy?" And I said, "Oh, I think that's him." And G said, "He's wearing a t-shirt." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be him. <laughs> yeah, it took me it, it took me a little while to win him over after that. He sort of looked at me, but uh, yeah, but yeah, that would have been the last job. time. That was a great ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was before, like the first year, like before he'd won the tour, or it was, or it was last year after he might have been twenty. It was just before. It was it was um, before he yeah, won the so tour. Yeah, I, I still I still credit that ride as one of the crucial training sessions that he had before he went on to win the Tour de France. Actually, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's our favorite. Just sort of, you know, general sightseeing ride. You know, we ride all day through Hollywood, just up and down and around. And yeah, no, it's that's been yeah. good for us. And and where are you at now? I mean, since 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 then, you were living in yeah. uh, in the US. You're obviously Australian. Yeah. Where are you I'm at in now? Andorra. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, another. It's like an island. In fact, I reckon. Um, you know, like Tassie, Andorra, I guess New Zealand are probably the three safest places to be on the planet at the moment. Like when, uh, when the crap hit the fan, we've got two borders we can just shut. <laughs> what about Lord yeah, Howe? Lord Howe would be number four, yeah. So I'd be, you know, I, I can, I've got access to, to pretty much the safest places on earth. So, um, but no, here, I'm here in Andorra. It's, uh, yeah, it's been pretty, pretty, pretty happy that we stuck around. I mean, my wife's American um, and we were, getting ready to have a first child and uh, who, you know, he was born 10 weeks ago now. And so he deliberated quite a lot. Do we go back to Australia? Do we, we come to the U S and, you know, then here they were, you know, they um, banned, you know, uh, the husband from being at the hospital for it all. So I was like, well, that's a bit rough, you know, having a, having a child in another country and then on your own. But we decided to take the, run the gauntlet and, and hope they changed the rules. Fortunately, you know, a few days before he was born, they did, and I uh, was allowed to be there. And um, yeah, so now we've got a an Andorran cross Australian cross American. I think it's probably the only asset on the planet that's got a triple A rating left at the moment. <laughs> so um, yeah, he's a little doozy. So it's great. Well, well, geez, Cam. Like uh, I think there's not many people in the world of sport that don't have a connection to you in some way, shape, or form. You know, met you on a bike ride or at an airport or whatnot. But I understand that that you got a, got started uh, in sports through rowing, and I know that there are a lot of cyclists who are or once were involved with rowing. Yeah. What what uh, 
what what makes those those uh, two sports so so similar? Where you can switch from being an Olympic rower to a professional cyclist? Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense because in one you're going backwards and you're on water, the other one you're going forwards, and you're on the road. But um, I, I just think you know that this concept of of suffering and work ethic, you know, is so key in both sports um, and accountability to your teammates. I mean, in rowing, obviously you're in a crew uh, where you rely so heavily on each other. You know, it's, it's the weakest guy. The weakest guy wins the race for you, I always say. You know, the weakest guy on the boat is, is your most important athlete because, you know, the crew's only as strong as him. And so, um, and I think in, uh, you know, in cycling, of course, as well. Yeah, okay, you've got sort of like the big, the most amazing individual team sport there is, you know, a leader really does need, you know, live and die by his team, uh, you know, especially in the biggest, the biggest races. And so I think that concept of the camaraderie and, and, uh, and relying on your teammates and, and appreciation for your teammates and getting the most out of each other is, um, is certainly one aspect. And, but then I think the biggest aspect is in rowing, you know, it might only be seven minutes as opposed to a bike race, which is seven hours, but you can be suffering like hell, you know, one minute into a rowing race, you know, out of the blocks, you're going full gas, you know, and there's, you know, five crews <laughs> right there with you. So you've got to keep going full gas and, and the pain that, uh, you know, you go through is, um, is quite excruciating. So I guess, you know, in cycling, which is, which is similar, you know, you just never know how long you've got to suffer for. Um, and, um, and I think that rowing gives you very good grounding to that because every single rowing race is different with regard to, to, you know, when you put on the ropes and how you got to hang in there and, and respond to the challenges around you. So, um, so different yet so similar. And then how do you go from Olympic level rowing into, into bike riding? Can you kind of give us a picture of that transition? Because it's, it's a pretty unique transition. In my case, it was not really planned. I mean, I was injured in rowing. I had tendonitis in my wrist. You know, that season, I had surgery. I came back for Worlds and I probably shouldn't have and my wrist blew out in the final. So that was the year before Beijing Olympics. So, you know, we, and we actually still came fourth that year. So we were certainly on a good progression towards Beijing. And, um, yeah, I need to have give it a good rest a few months. And at, at that point, you obviously need to continue to train at a very high level but could, I couldn't row because I couldn't hold on to you know the handle with, well, with the force but I could ride the bike and initially I was on the ergo and I just loved it and I watched every Tour de France video there possibly was and uh, that was you know it was back in 2007 and then you know I, I had I think after about six weeks I was allowed to go out back out on the road and I bought a time trial bike and started riding that and thought I'd just enter the, the national championships and then go back to rowing and that was sort of the end of the three-month block. And I went to the Nationals and just entered as an elite and ended up coming fourth. And I know we had a guy from Tassie, you'd remember Mark Jamison, and he was, you know, quite good. I mean, I think he'd been second under 23 Worlds or something the year before. Anyway, he was fifth. And so the national team just said to me, you know, Shane Bannon at the time said, are you interested in changing sports? And I said, well, I'd never really thought about that. And I just said, would you, if I do, will you consider me for the Olympics? I had no idea what how that meant, but I was focused on the Olympics and he just sort of looked at me and he told me later that he couldn't believe I'd asked the question, but he just said, yeah, we can sit here. I mean, of course, if you're good enough, we'll send you. And I was like, okay, great. I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. So um, that was that. I, I never got back in a rowing boat since. Yeah, it's been quite some journey since then. 
once you got going on that on that trajectory, you moved pretty quickly into the into the pro ranks, and you went through a few teams. I'm interested to know what was your favorite team? Who was the favorite kind of guy to ride for? Uh, what was your favorite race? Favorite for sure was um, when I rode with Androni and Michele Scarponi was our captain, and I mean that was that was incredible. I'd actually turned professional the year before with with um, uh, Fuji Savetto, but I got glandular fever. And to be honest, I was really nervous about, I mean, that was a pretty horrible experience. I'd never been sick or injured in my life. And I started out quite well. I think my first pro race was Catalonia. I think I was in the top 20, like the first time I'd ever raced a well to a race. And then I got sick. <laughs> Probably not surprising me. I dug so deep to, to do that, you know, at a very early point in my cycling time. And the rest of the year was was horrible. And so I wasn't really keen to go on but uh john francois quinay was very supportive of me and and big believer and he spoke to savio and uh, told him about him and savio actually reached out and said listen if you you know if you'd like we'll give you an opportunity and uh, come and write we've got a pretty good team this year and you can live in italy and spoke a bit of the language at that point and and yeah and that was the best thing i could have ever done and um i guess my only regret was then i was meant to be there for a couple of years and um, McKaylee decided to leave to go to Lamprey and wanted to take me with him. And when uh, other teams found out about that, I got quite a few offers from other teams. And one was Liquid Gas, and I'd always wanted to ride with Basso. And so I ended up doing that. But I kind of regret not staying with Savio that extra year because, you know, I remember him saying to me once, it was in Torino Adriatico, and the first day he wanted me to go on the break. And I missed the break. And at the end, he said, Cameron, you know, what happened? How'd you miss the break? And I said, oh, you know, I tried, but I was hurting and I didn't want to, you know, not make it to the finish, blah, blah, blah. And he said, listen, if you want to go on the breakaway, you have to pretend that the 50K mark is the end of your race. If you if you get to there and you're not in it, you're that exhausted that you cannot continue. And I remember the next day I attacked, I chased the next attack, I attacked again, I chased the next one, the next one. I finally got away and when I got away, I, I went on my own and there was a few guys coming across, but I was just pinging it. And when they came across, they were, Dio, down, Dio, slow down, you know, and I was like, no freaking way. I want to be in the break. And, um, and then I remember hitting them in the last sort of 20K, we had a bit of a climb and I actually almost held on and won on my own and, um, yeah, sort of a, a selective sprint group and Bernati ended up 20, 30 guys gobbled me up in the finish and it was liquid gas that chased me down incidentally actually and um, and I uh, ended up, but yeah, there was just so many amazing moments that year with Scarponi. Uh, he was just a great leader. And, you know, any time he ever asked you to ride on the front, you know, he invariably won and um, did the Giro and uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing. So that was certainly a year I cherish. So jumping around from Androni Giocattoli to Leaky Gus Cannondale Champion Systems back to Cannondale, right around then, 2015, was that the time that you started transitioning over to triathlons? No, no, I wanted to transition out of the sport, to be honest. I um, you know, I'd had, I mean, I had, uh, Aldo Sassi was just a huge um, advocate for me and, um, and was so lucky to be one of his athletes. And, you know, he had a lot of high expectations for me. And in training, you know, I was immediately surrounded by Cadell and, and obviously Ivan and, and those guys. And, um, you know, I could train really well. You know, I mean, I could, 
I mean, I, at Mape, I remember at the time I broke Cancellara's aerobic power record, you know. Um, so, you know, physiologically I could do some great things. I could beat Basso's times on, you know, camp, on uh, Campo di Fiore and uh, Cubignoni's test climbs that he'd, he'd do before the Giro when he'd win. But then I'd go to a race and I'd, well, suck in comparison to that. I mean, I was decent. I'd get some decent results, but I certainly wasn't one of the big guys. And even as a domestique, like as a worker, I couldn't quite figure out how to put that to good use. And so, you know, I felt like I was just banging my head against the wall. I, I love training. I love riding my bike. I love the work part, but I was just not performing at the level that I should have racing. And I got to, I was 30 and I was like, I don't want to waste the productive years of my life, you know, filling in the peloton. And so uh, I spoke to Cannondale about that, told him how I felt. Obviously, I was going through the merger and everything at that time. I had a contract still with Cannondale at that point. And um, they said, if you'd like to come to the US and just be a brand ambassador for us for a couple of years and, you know, see what you want to do. And uh, they told me that it's much easier to get a job when you got a job then, um, you know, be unemployed and, you know, just quit and be roaming around. So that was, that was what was the idea was. I wanted to go and work on Wall Street. So I went to the US and started meeting people in finance. And um, fortunately, you know, there's a lot of supporters of cycling that are, you know, quite prominent, you know, in, in that world. So had some good connections straight up and found some opportunities and, um, and got pretty and actually chose where I was going to work in LA and with a firm. And um, it was them that, said to me in 2016, you know, it's great that you want to do this and, and put your energy into finance, but the reality is, you know, you can do this in another 10 years' time. So um, why, don't you, why don't you stick at sport? Is there nothing that interests you? And, and at that point, I'd done a couple of triathlons for fun that year, and uh, I loved it. I mean, I just had, on the start line, I just wanted, for the, for, for the first time, you know, since rowing days, I just wanted to be at the front again. Um, and uh, I said, you know, I really like uh, like that, and yeah, and so that was when I started to take that a little bit more seriously. I, I went to an Ironman as a professional in Arizona, and I said to myself, if I can swim and bike at world record pace, you know, what Jan Fredino had done, then I would think about learning to run, and so I trained for a few months in the pool, managed to swim in the front group. I rode just over four hours. I think I got off the bike a couple of minutes quicker than he did when he broke the world record. And then I obviously didn't run very fast. I ran about 40 minutes slower than he did. <laughs> but, um, but I thought, you know what, maybe I could do this sport. And um, I went back to Australia for the summer. I was still on the fence. It was either go and work in finance or, you know, maybe have a look at triathlon at that point. It's the end of 2016. And... Um, yeah, Kero, Tim Kerrison called me just randomly out of the blue, you know, as fate would have it in January and uh, asked me if I was, um, if I'd like to come up and train with Froomey for a couple of weeks. And I was like, well, that's a pretty cool opportunity. This might be the, you know, the last thing I do in sport ever. Why not go out with a bang and train with the tour champ? And um, yeah, we had an amazing couple of weeks and, um, you know, he and Tim showed quite a lot of belief in me that there was still a bit left in the tank and, and, and I mean, at that point, asked me, did I want to come back to cycling or, you know, do something else? I said, you know, I'd had a couple of, done some Ironmans and was pretty keen on that. And, and Caro felt that it was probably a sport that suited me. So, um, yeah, here we are a few years later, still here, still doing it. What was the hardest part of that transition? I guess running. You know, running was the big thing. I mean, I hadn't done any running. I mean, swimming I could pick up reasonably quick to a certain level because you have feel from rowing. 
you know, you understand the concept of, you know, leverage through the water and, you know, not ripping the water, you know, you realize you've got a place and pull yourself past a certain point is the most efficient way to move. Um, not only that, the swim is the only drafting part of the event. I mean, you start in the pack and you quickly learn if you're behind someone or beside someone, you actually get quite an effect, you know, so you're prepared to fight, you know. I mean, I really fight to hold on to the feet, you know, of the faster guys, which is a concept you learn from cycling. And it's very similar. I mean, when you're having a good day and someone's sort of trying to fight with you, you just keep fighting and eventually they wilt. When you're having an off day, you know, you fight, you fight, you're like, okay, yeah, you take that one, you know, and then you slip back and slip back and next thing, boom, you, you're gone. So there was a lot of you know, familiarity with the swim. Obviously, the bike was pretty straightforward. And then, yeah, but the run is just something I had done very little of. And uh, obviously, being hunched over on a bike for so many years doesn't really prepare you well for that. So that was something that took some time and um, and patience. You know, that was the big thing. Um, that was where I was fortunate to have Caro uh, initially and then the guys from Nike that you know, building the foundation. You know, they said with everything you've done, you've got a strong foundation, which is why you don't get injured. You've got to do the same with running. It might take an extra year or so, but, you know, it'll be better for you in the long run. And so now we're, you know, I think we're in a pretty good spot with it all. And uh, Richie Port tells me, I mean, I know that the triathlon is self-supported. Like you have to change a flat, correctly, correct? <laughs> and, yeah. and Richie yeah. says that you can't change a flat tire. Is that true? And if it if it if that does happen in a race, what's the deal? What yeah, what happens there? Touch wood, I haven't had to do it, but we do have support. You know, in the biggest races now, they have a couple of guys with a motorbike, and they tend to stick around at the front of the race. So generally, I'm up there. So that's that's fortunate. But um, yeah, we did the Everest Challenge last year, and uh, on the Madone, I mean, probably the worst climb in the world to do the Everest Challenge. Certainly not like, it's like the, if you think of where Lachlan did, it's like the polar eclipse, you know, every single corner you could possibly imagine. I think it takes longer to get down that thing than it does to climb it. The road's so bad. I had a flat tire. I was lucky that um, Jakob Fulsang was there actually because he was able to give us some pointers because he's a obviously a mountain bike world champ. So he's very good at, at that stuff. So I've improved a lot, you know, since uh, since that, that time with Richie where I've, where I've struggled in the past. <laughs> And for, for every cyclist, I mean, the running definitely has to be the most difficult to learn because a lot of us swim in the off season. Obviously, we're on our bikes all the time. But I always had the philosophy, if you're standing, you should be sitting. And if you're sitting, you should be laying down. So, you know, anytime I had to walk anywhere when I was a professional cyclist, like even if my wife wanted to go to the mall or if we were in Paris after the Tour de France and she wanted to walk around to all the museums, I was like, no way, get me a wheelchair. So the the, the work ethic that you must have had to sh- shown there to improve your running as much as you have is is quite impressive. And now what what are what are the times that you're shooting for in that marathon after the end of that what? mile and a half swim and 110 mile bike what what is the kind of standard uh or goal that you have for that for that run leg yeah well i mean just back to the whole site i mean the problem is also you've got such a big engine you know and you want to run and so you can push your body to a certain point and that's why most cyclists get injured when they run because their engine well it's too powerful for the wheels so to speak um, so that was why I was very fortunate to have some very good advice to, to slow down, you know, just gradually build things up. And 
I started out, as I said, so that, that first one I did in 2016 uh, was around 3.20, nearly 3, 3 hours 30. I mean, it's just running. It's just sort of not walking <laughs> pace. Um, by April, May, the next year, I was down to 3.10, 3.12. And I think by the end of that year, I ran a three, when I qualified for Kona, I ran 3.01 or 3.02 when I qualified for a profession. I was the first year, I was 20. Um, 2017. Uh, then the next year, I ran uh, 253, 254. So, you know, I improved quite a bit. And then this last year, I actually ran, it was actually not in Kona, but um, in it, I'm in Italy, which I won, I ran 245. So that was, and I actually set the run course record on a, at a course, which was, you know, it's probably, I mean, I guess I've got bike course record pretty much everywhere I've raced, but to set a run course record was quite a satisfying <laughs> achievement for me um, to, to have that because obviously you've had a lot of naysayers that will say, oh, he's just there to try and prove that he can ride fast and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I'm there to try and win the race. And I guess the running thing is is something that I've in, I've enjoyed the most because it's, we all love improving and I've, and I've had – a long way to improve. I mean, that's, you know, that's 45 minutes in, uh, you know, in three years, I guess. That's a lot. So, yeah, it's been great. And I think I can get down to below 240. I think I can be one of the better runners in the sport. I mean, I've definitely continued to improve and, and I'll improve just by doing it more now. So, um, you know, these other guys have been doing it for a hell of a long time and uh, I've still got quite a bit to, to go. So that's good. And what is your favorite bit of tech that you use in triathlon or road racing? And and how much has that technology changed in the few, you know, the few short years that you've been doing triathlons? I guess the clothing has been the biggest eye-opener for me, learning the big difference between different suits. You know, I mean, you think that position and all that stuff is really important, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's what the air is hitting, which is your clothing or your helmet, you know, they that on the bike they can be um you know yeah massive massive differences so obviously i'm pretty fortunate with the team you know with, with sky and obviously and Ineos, uh, having you know access to the best stuff there but then running i was very fortuitous to come in at a time when the new nike shoe came in um the four percent so when uh, kipchoge had his first attempt at breaking two hours when nike did that in monza so i basically learned to run in that shoe and obviously now I'm working with Nike and, you know, and I've got, you know, new evolutions of it and, and so forth. And, and so I've, I've really learned to run, you know, with that, with that technology. My technique that I've developed <laughs> um, has, has been in those shoes. So I think that has had a huge impact for me because a lot of other people, of course, have, have tried the shoes, you know. I mean, they're incredibly popular. Um, but it's not like everyone that puts them on runs faster. You know, I mean, some people run a little bit faster. Others don't like them, you know, because they run on their heel and it's very much a forefoot shoe. But, um, yeah, I'd say that shoe, you know, and, and learning how to run has been a huge advantage for me um, just with the timing of coming into the sport. So that's, yeah, certainly a big, big game changer. That and the, and the clothing on the bike. And you've set a course record at Hawaii, how, like three years running, two years running? Yeah, twice, twice, yeah, on the bike. And you've kind of steadily improved your position there, right? You were fifth last year. I think the first time you did it, you were like 18th or something. Just when it seems you're destined to get a podium there, 
you know, you announced that you were making a comeback to cycling. What was the motivation there? I know that you and I, I think, in our sporadic conversations over the last few years, this has kind of been nebulously on the cards. Um, are you still chasing triathlon? I mean, obviously you are. How's all this fit together? What's the master plan here? I mean, it wasn't so much as a as well. I guess it is a comeback to cycling. You know, I'm back on the team and and I'm back racing, but uh, it was more an opportunity. I mean, we talked about me going onto the team all the way back in 2017. But at the time, I needed to run, you know, and, and swim. And if I'd been injured or hurt or anything during that time, it would have probably really limited my progression in triathlon. You know, I was running, you know, 100, 120K a week consistently and I just didn't have the energy, you know. I mean, I was so sore and buckled and um, had to get through that. So, you know, I obviously couldn't also race professionally at that point. Yeah, so when this came up, it was more a case I went to the camp in Mallorca last in December and I sat down and spoke to Dave um, and I get along, you know, quite well with all the guys, all the riders and it's the first time I'd been around the entire team, all the staff and everything and a lot of staff had said, oh, it's, you know, it's, you should be back doing some racing with the team. And so I just sat down and said to Dave, you know, I said, look, you know, people have been, people are talking, you know, been saying this. I said, um, if you were interested, I said, I'm often with the guys anyway. I'm always fit, you know. I'm always basically ready to go. If you want to have someone that you can call upon to just fill a gap as opposed to pulling someone from this race or pulling someone from that race or making someone who's a little bit injured or not quite in shape go to a race and you can send me instead, um, I'm, you know, I'd be more than happy to do that because it's a great supplement for my training and at this point I feel like it can help, you know, me progress um, towards, you know, winning Kona. And he said, you know, that would be fantastic. But, but, but um, at the moment they had, they had 30 guys on the team. And so, but we're sort of thinking more next year, potentially doing that. And then, uh, yeah, January rolls around. And I don't know why I thought that there was something that was going to happen, but when I was packing my bag to go to LA for my camp with G, I just put my team tracksuit in my bag and a race, couple of race suits. I don't know why. Sure enough, you know, uh, it's mid-January, Carson called Jefferson, who, you know, is in charge of all the um, contracts and everything at the team, and said that Kiri was thinking about stopping, and if he was going to, if he stops, would you be prepared to take his spot? I said, well, of course. <laughs> it's like a pretty simple answer. So I think they kind of wanted to make sure that I was keen to do it before they went through with that with him because, you know, they felt like, that I could kind of, you know, I guess, feel as sort of a... No one will ever feel Kirianka's shoes. I mean, the guy's one of the greatest cyclists ever. But I guess at this point in his career, you know, his role on the team was just to sort of go along and, and be a bit of a workhorse and, and so forth. And, um, and that was something that I could do. So, yeah, so that was that, back in the peloton. Last week, we had an episode about heart conditions, arrhythmias, people having to retire, and Vasily Kirianka was... Um, he had an issue and you just described, you know, you were kind of the replacement for that. Yeah. So in triathlon, in all the endurance sports that you participate in, have you ever had any sort of heart arrhythmia or issues like like myself, like Karyanka, like so many more professional athletes, especially coming from rowing? Because as I understand, there's a lot of rowers that have AFib because of the fact that you're actually breathing on a stroke count instead of when you actually have to breathe. Have you ever experienced anything like that? No, I mean, 
Yeah, well, if I have, I wouldn't know it. <laughs> so, um, and I guess all I all I've done is the the tests that we have to do, um, and it obviously has never shown anything up. Um, but um, you know, I I also okay rowing. Yes, I mean it was I obviously operated at a pretty high level, but um, I was pretty young when I stopped. I mean, I was twenty two, so I didn't really do it for that long. Um, and then cycling, I I don't really think I ever got the most out of myself it probably hasn't been till the last couple of years that i've really felt like i'm pushing you know the envelope to the level that i'm capable of performing at so i guess if i was going to be nervous about it happening it would be now it wouldn't be from the past um so um yeah but i mean i said i actually don't even know that many people um that have had it i mean will walker was one guy that i was really good friends with that had obviously had a lot of problems with it um, but in rowing, yeah, I haven't. I personally haven't heard of any guys. But rowers are pretty, uh, they're pretty blockhead sort of bunch generally, especially the blokes. So most of them probably wouldn't have a clue if they had had it. Um, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty serious thing, and yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even know what the um, what the symptoms are to be honest. So I've never really really looked into it. So you kind of answered this already. Um, cause one of my questions was when you go to these team Ineos training camps, are you allowed to do running afterwards? Like, you know, the whole, the whole brick training philosophy, yeah. right? But you already mentioned that you come back from those training rides and you're pretty buckled. So you're probably not jumping on, putting on your Nike running shoes and going for a run afterwards. We actually did. I, well, it was my stupid idea and G thought it was a great idea it was to do a lap of Mallorca. And so we did. We actually started with a big group that not everyone was allowed to do the full lap. It was only me, yeah, it was only yeah, G, Dylan Van Baal, Yogi, so Ian Stannard, Christian Kines and I. Uh, the rest had to do half the pilot. And we swapped the time trial bikes for the last, it must have been 150K. And it just became a team time trial. And we dumped Kines after about probably 50k. He didn't last that long, actually. And then, uh, so it was just the four of us and it was on. And about 10k from the finish, um, I was, I just, I don't know why, but it, like 300k ticked over. I thought I'll be 10k, easy roll home. And I kind of just mentally switched off and just was swinging. And G went to the front, just drilled it and spat me out the back. Anyway, I rocked up at the hotel, you know, a minute or so later. And Tim said, well, punishment, off you go, go get your shoes. And he, not only that, I thought he was joking. I thought, yeah, right, oh, whatever. I went upstairs, put my shoes on, put my running gear on, came back down. And there's Caro with his bike helmet and his bike ready to follow me. It made me run 10K um, as punishment for getting dropped after riding 300K with those guys. So, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my cross training has become quite a major part of the team camp, to be honest. Um, uh, and I swim, you know, we always make sure there's a pool. Um, when I've been on camps with Froome, like Chattel, for example, will stop mid-ride and I'll swim in a lake and he might keep riding or he'll come jump in and have a swim with me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy with, with G. You know, in LA, for example, the first year he, I'd go swimming in the first week or so and, He'd, he'd just sort of meet me afterwards and then he'd start getting on the bike an hour and a half earlier and then meet me after swimming. So, you know, I think there's been a bit of a method to the madness comparison of having me around these guys because it's probably just made them do a, a little bit more here and there. 
And um, even Pavel Sivakov said to me the other day, he said, it's really great having you around because I never feel like I'm training too hard. So, um, yeah, no, my, my cross training is, uh, is definitely not put on the back burner. It's, it's you know, I, I, the goal is that I can basically train with the guys or do what, is, what Tim would think is, uh, is the adequate amount of training for the guys at that level and then do what I need to do on top of that. And, and in turn, it means that the other guys end up doing more than he'd even expect of them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's been, I think it's been pretty good for everyone. And we all know that recovery is a huge part of what you guys do. And you may be an anomaly like the Energizer Bunny that doesn't need that sort of stuff. But what are the activities, those recovery day activities at Tim Ineos camp, Team Ineos camps these days? I remember... You know, guys were playing chess, guys were playing pool. I don't know. What do you guys do? Do you guys ever switch off or is it just laying in your bed, doing the recovery protocol, making sure that you're ready for the next day? Do you guys do anything fun that our listeners would like to hear? Oh, yeah. I mean, if there's any type of competition like uh, pool table or ping pong, you know, definitely there's there's always someone that's ready to challenge someone. PlayStation is a pretty big part of it. You know, Queer, like Queer Dowski always makes sure there's a couple of PlayStations there. He's, he's, he and Luke Rowe are huge fans of that. Yeah, you don't see too many people just lying around, sitting around, you know, doing nothing at these camps. You know, people are reading books and, you know, they're a pretty active sort of bunch all the time. It's, it's sort of like, you know, you get on the bike, you do your work, and then once you get off your bike, you know, you completely switch off from that and, and mentally switch off. And I guess if you're sitting around on your bed staring at your phone or looking at the internet or whatever, you know, people do, you are not really switching off from the sport. You're probably looking into it or whereas I find that that team, I mean, when you're not at dinner, you just never talk about cycling really. You know, you're talking about all sorts of different things. It's probably one of the big um, advantages for me personally being an English team as opposed to liquid gas or, you know, where you, I, you know, I spoke reasonable Italian, but not good enough to speak about all sorts of different topics. So yeah, I think, I think that's the big difference I see at Ineos. It's, um, it's just the fact that everyone switches off from cycling, but they're actually reasonably active to, to, to my surprise. I mean, I'm looking around and people are here, they're doing all sorts of, um, all sorts of different things. As you say, chest is a big one too, you know, that, that, uh, I came from Mallorca and um, and personally, I would go swimming most afternoons. So, uh, well, pretty much every afternoon. So, um, yeah, we're all encouraged to be doing something. Certainly not sitting on a tot and doing nothing. What's next for you? What are your goals? I mean, I know COVID situations kind of turned 2020 season on its head, obviously. But for you, are you, you know, looking to go back to Hawaii and go at the podium? Are you looking to do a grand tour? What's the What's the goal? Yeah, Kona's been postponed till February, and I guess Kona is similar. You know, obviously it's not the Olympics, but it's a similar aspect in that everyone needs to travel there. So you need to come from all over the world, and everyone's got to travel. So you'd think that would be one of the last sort of <laughs> events that would be able to be held again. Um, so I'd say that's sort of doubtful. You know, so it's fortuitous to me that I'm involved with the team, and I can kind of throw myself, you know well and truly into the cycling season which is about to start and obviously we're all crossing our fingers that and toes and everything else that the season goes ahead as planned and um if that does i've been told yeah i'll need to you know that there's a good chance i'll ride a grand tour um so 
I'm basically still as I was at the start of the year. I'm reserved for absolutely every single race. <laughs> so <laughs> I could be called into anything. Um, and that's what I've really, you know, just learned. You know, I just need to be prepared the best I possibly can for whatever opportunity comes my way. So that's what I'm doing. I'm training as, you know, as well as I can and, um, and being ready for, for whatever race that, that might happen to be. But, yeah, I'm not really thinking about triathlon at the moment because for starters there's none planned and Kona is, you know, not even on the horizon. Um, having said that, from a training perspective, we, are, we haven't changed. I mean, I'm basically swimming 20, 25Ks per week. Uh, I run 80 to 100K per week and I ride, you know, five to six days a week. You know, I do all the rides with the guys. So, you know, they're pretty long days. I mean, it's, you know, 35, 40 hours a week back to back and I generally train around six days straight and then just have one rest day so you know I have one day where I I do a longer run and a longer swim so that's sort of more of a, a triathlon focused day but uh you know five of them five days a week I pretty much do every every discipline swim bike and run that day you know varying lengths and whatever so from a training perspective yeah I'm preparing to go and win Kona one day but we obviously don't know where that is so you know, the running and the swimming is obviously much more general and, and working on different different areas. That's, for me personally, I think this is an advantage, a huge advantage because there's there's areas that I need to work on in both those, both those disciplines that you need time for. And when you have to race all the time, it's quite hard to make those improvements because you're worried about how fast you're going. And, and stressing about that, I'm able to just get in the pool and swim and feel it and you know, I've, I've, you know, I feel like I've improved a hell of a lot and also running. I've been over for the first time ever just run, you know, and do different types of run. I say 80 to 100K because it's around seven hours of running. But some weeks I'll do, you know, four of them in the trails where you only run, you know, 40K as opposed to 70 when you're out on the, out on the road, you know. So um, the body changing position and, and up and down and, all those things are just things I've never done. So I've really looked at this lockdown as an opportunity to, or this pause, I guess, in triathlon as an opportunity to, to improve on other areas that I never would have got and I think will make me much better when we finally do get to Kona, whenever that is. So um, from a competitive standpoint, my focus is 100% on, um, on bike racing. Knowing that, that Richie Port and you are both from Tasmania and both are involved in triathlons or have been involved in triathlons. If you and Richie Port had time to prepare, who would win an Ironman <laughs> distance triathlon? Because I know that Richie sure can swim really well. We nicknamed him the fish when he came to, to Saxo Bank back in uh, 2010, I believe. But how is he at running? D does he have a chance or are you guys pretty, pretty <laughs> evenly matched there? Well, he's... Um He's got a, one limiting factor is the length of his limbs. <laughs> He's got to take about twice the number of steps to me, so that's a bit of a tricky one for him. But, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, he's a great swimmer and he swims all the – I mean, he rang me the other day wanting to know where the pool was at Isola 2000 and if I knew of one up there. So he's, you know, he's, he's as worried about his swimming as he is about his riding year-round these days. He, he really loves it. He did do some running in the off-season last year, but he got pretty sore. So I think he, you know, and then it was sort of coming into the season. He didn't really have enough time to, to get over that. But, yeah, I'd love to see him actually persist with it and, um, you know, get through that phase and, and then be able to actually start doing some training. But, 
you know, there's one thing I've learned. These guys are very, very, very good. You know, and I mean, forget about myself, but the guys I'm racing against, Fredino and Kinlay, you know, obviously, um, you know, Patrick Langer and you know, Ben Hoffman and, and Tim O'Donnell, the Americans, um, they are very, very good at what they do. And, you know, you, you need to appreciate and respect that. You know, it's not just, oh, they're, they're average at everything. They're actually getting to a point where they're very, very good at every single discipline. So it takes quite a lot of, quite a lot of years of work to, to get to that point. Incidentally, Adam Hansen actually, well, he obviously did Ironman Florida at the end of last year. He messaged me a, a week ago asking me how to get his professional license. So I'm not sure what's going on there, what he's been doing in lockdown. Who knows? Maybe he's been um, spending it swimming and running. So he could be the one that uh, actually comes out and starts competing, um, certainly before Richie, Richie looks at doing it. Yeah, I mean, besides yourself and Adam, we got Vinokarov, we've got <laughs> Jalabert. Yeah. Uh, we had Talansky. I, I think he retired from triathlon as well. Yeah. Um, are there any other guys or, or women that uh, were professional cyclists that are now doing triathlons that we don't know about? Uh, not that I know of. Although, you know, I mean, it was like when I changed from rowing to cycling. All of a sudden, everyone coming to cycling was an ex-rower. And now I hear about, you know, people coming to Ironman that were ex-cyclists, but I'd never heard of them. So, um, yeah. But, um, I mean, Mike Woods, you know, is, is very deter- keen to do one as well. He he certainly grills me every time he sees me wanting to know, you know, about swimming and how I run and, and different things. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a lot of the guys. Michael Volgren, uh, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I could run off a, a list of a lot of guys that have spoken to me in the bunch since I've been back about wanting to do an Ironman one day. So, yeah, that which is great, you know. I mean, a lot of them also appreciate the level of the sport and they just would love to do one because they're fascinated by it. You know, a lot of people, people generally know someone that does triathlon. I mean, it's a very popular sport. It's a, it's very different to cycling because it's a participation sport. I guess, you know, you got gravel and, and different things like that, which is somewhat mass participation. But triathlon is, is really the epitome of, of, of a participation sport because, you know, you can have some hotshot, you know, exec from Wall Street, you know, who just decide to buy the $20,000 bike and the whole all the kit cam and caboodle and enter a race and go and do it. And he's finishing running side by side with a, you know, 50-year-old grandmother who's doing her 30th Ironman for the year, you know, that's experienced and knows how to grind out the day. And, and this bloke's, you know, walking. And, you you know, everyone has their own experience. And um, it's not so much about who wins and loses. It's, uh, yeah, it's about it's about the... I guess the journey <laughs> is a word. So um, yeah, it's a it's a great sport like that. And mate, on that note, it has been quite a journey for you uh, up until this point, and I'm sure the journey will continue in unexpected ways. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure, and it's been a real pleasure watching you, mate. Um, especially the last few years, just pushing in every element, particularly on the run. <laughs> that improvement is mind blowing. And then obviously, yeah, coming back. Oh, well, not coming back, but but the uh, shock signing with, with Ineos and, and how that's been going. So it's been really exciting and, and, yeah, can't thank you enough for coming on. Appreciate that, guys. I mean, it, it's funny that about coming back to cycling. To me, it hasn't been such a big deal because I always felt and I spoke to you about it years ago that I could do it. And I'm sure whenever I said it, most people looked at me, get your head out of the clouds. I mean, 
you weren't good enough. You know, you, you, you weren't good enough. That's why you're out of the sport. And it's like, well, no, it wasn't because I wasn't good enough. It was because I didn't want to be there. I, I didn't feel like I could do what I needed to do. I mean, you hear of guys coming back to the NFL, coming back to the NBA. I mean, if you're that level of player, you know, that's where you go back. You don't go back and play AAA league or whatever, you know, back in the bleachers. You, you just come back to the, to the top. And so, I mean, if I was going to go back to cycling, naturally, I mean, that's just how I think. I think obviously it's a shock sort of to everyone because it just, no one's, that's never really happened in the sport before. But it would be wonderful if the sport appreciated the professionalism of the guys that make it to the world tour. I mean, there, there's a reason they're at that level, you know, and, and if guys want to step away and, and come back, I mean, that should just be, you know, that's a, that's an exciting part of the sport, I think. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's great. And, uh, yeah, as I said, I've learned to expect the unexpected. And, um, I um, yeah, can't wait to see what's next, to be honest. I can't wait to wake up every day and, and see what comes my way. <laughs> Well, thanks again, Cam. I mean, Energizer Bunny that you are. Uh, we know that you've spent enough time with us today, so we really appreciate your time. And good luck once the season does kick off. And uh, stay safe. Thanks, guys. Same to you. And that's it, everyone. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you again to Cameron Worth from Team Ineos for joining us. You can find all of our past episodes, as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at velonews.com. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. Please continue to show your support by subscribing and please spread the word by telling your friends about us. As always, this show is produced by Bobby J and myself and is edited by Ed Rogers. If you want to get in touch with us, reach out to us at thatisgus or at bobby.julik on Instagram. That's probably the best place to reach us if you have any feedback, any suggestions, uh, any notes. That would be fantastic. You can get at us there. Until next week, thank you so much for listening. My name is Angus Morton. Yes, and thank you for, for all the people that have been writing in. Uh, maybe we don't have time to to respond to each and every one, in the, one of them, but we have been reading them. We have been taking stuff on board. So thanks again for that. And as always, stay safe, stay sane, and don't forget to put your mask on. Yeah.